This morning, we're in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 20, and we've got uh, three messages left to go today and two more weeks. And this morning, we're going to deal with one section of Scripture, and then next week, we're going to deal with a part of this passage and the passage that comes right after this. And so, there's just so much here. And in fact, this is a pretty heavy passage of Scripture when you look at it. In fact, it should cause us, as we read this passage of Scripture today, it should cause us to move with some caution. We ought, to, we ought to take note, okay, as to what Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture. We seem to be, and I often feel this way about my own life, I often feel like I'm in a hurry. Do you ever feel like that? Like, i got to get to the next thing. i got to do the next thing. And what I find when I'm in a hurry and I'm just checking things off my to-do list, I fail to be in the moment and enjoy the things that God has given me to enjoy. I often find that when I'm in a hurry, I tend to end up making mistakes and doing things that I probably otherwise wouldn't do if I would just slow down and use caution. In fact, carpenters have a saying, and I'm not a carpenter by any stretch of the means. I own a I own a hammer and a screwdriver, and that's it, right? Um, my sump pump went out a couple months ago, and I had to call Mike to come over and help me fix it because I just didn't have the tools to do that. But carpenters will tell you, you measure twice and you what? Measure twice, cut once. Well, why do they do that? Because you can't be in a hurry when you're building something. It's very important that we use caution, especially when we're looking at the Word of God. In fact, we get in a hurry, and some experts call it the tyranny of the urgent. And for most of us, it feels like everything is urgent. Everything needs to be done right now. And what Jesus is doing here in this passage is he's teaching us in the sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's kind of teaching us, encouraging us to consider the character of our life. He's talking to us about who we are, who we are before God, so that we can have an effective impact on those around us. He wants us to have an effective impact on the kingdom. He wants our lives to matter. He wants us to live with significance. But before we do that, Jesus is more concerned with who we are than what we do. And it just keeps coming back to that. If you go all the way back to Matthew chapter 5, when we started this uh, series, when Jesus gave us the Beatitudes, blessed are they, blessed are they, you know, over and over again, Jesus is dealing with the inner man, the person you are when no one else is around, the character of your life. And I'm not quite sure that this doesn't ring any truer than what we're going to examine in the next two weeks of Jesus' teaching to his disciples in Matthew chapter 7. But what we find, what we see in this passage, Jesus is drawing this entire message of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three chapters. He's bringing this entire thing to a conclusion. And what he's saying is this, and please, 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 please write this down. He's bringing the whole thing to a conclusion, and he's saying this, you need to make a choice. In fact, I want you to slow down, and I want you to use caution, because what I'm about to say is incredibly significant. Don't get this wrong. And I want you to make a choice. I want you to examine your life. I want you to look at your life. I want you to look at who you are. I want you to look at what you do. I want you to look at what you're becoming. And I want you to make a choice. I want you to make a choice. The sad part is, is that for many of us, and we read in this passage of Scripture today, 
he says in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. What we find here is that you can run through life, and you can be in a hurry, and you can check things off of your to-do list, and sadly, you can actually be a good person, listen, and be on the wrong road, and be on the wrong path. And so what we need to come to is this, are you going to allow the truths that we've learned in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and the truth that we're learning today, are you going to allow that truth to transform your life? Are you going to allow it, allow it to build your character and change who you are from the inside out? Because Jesus isn't concerned with behavior modification, and he's not concerned with you living a moral life. Because apart from the grace of God, anything that we do is as filthiness and dirty rags before a holy God. In fact, what we've learned is this. You can do all the right things. You can do all the right things, but not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can go to church. You can get baptized. Um, you, can, you can be confirmed. Um, you can help the old lady cross the street. You can throw some money in the offering plate. You can grab the cat out of the tree so the firemen don't have to show. I mean, on and on we can go. You can, do, you can make straight A's and be the valedictorian. You can have um, elite excess in your career and have money in the bank to spare to use for discretionary income and not have a relationship with God and be on the wrong path. Jesus is teaching his disciples the significance of making the right choice. And here's the big idea that we want to think about today, and that's this. There's wisdom. There is wisdom in using caution when considering eternity. There's wisdom in that. And it's a very foolish thing to not slow down long enough to think about the choices that you're making in your life right now that could impact you for all of eternity. It's a foolish thing to do that. Eternity isn't something to take lightly. And for many folks... They don't think a lot about death, and they surely don't think about the life to come. They have very little interest in what's next. And as Jesus was teaching his disciples, he wanted to remind them and teach them the powerful, exclusive truth of the gospel. Now, this morning, you might think, well, man, that's not fair. Like, Jesus is the only way? Hey, listen, I'm thankful this morning that Jesus provided a way for me to understand what it means to be right with God and to know that my sins are forgiven and to know that I can have a home in heaven. That's good news today. Jesus was teaching his disciples, and as he was teaching them, he wanted to remind them and teach them this truth. If you're like me, man, I I do, I struggle with the idea of slowing down. I mean, I struggle with this. In fact, if I'm being honest with you, it causes me a, a bit of anxiety. I've always got to be doing something, and if I'm not producing, and if I'm not moving forward, right, I feel like I'm, I'm not honoring God, or I feel like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, because, you know, it's built in us to some degree to, to, to do something, breaking the routine of what I have on my to-do list, and, 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 and considering what's really significant and truly worthy. And I'm going to tell you this today, if you don't slow down long enough, to make a choice to consider eternity and a relationship with God, in the end, it will be the greatest regret of your life. 
It'll be the greatest regret of your life. Because in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what we find is this. God's kingdom is occupied by those who cautiously consider their lives in the light of the gospel. In fact, they are followers that are more concerned with who they are than what they do. That's who occupies the kingdom of God. And so what we see here is Jesus is cautioning us in this text to evaluate some things in our lives. And I hope you do that today. I hope you slow down long enough. Don't think about the pot roast that's in the slow cooker, the crock pot, right? Don't think about the, the, the lunch that you're going to eat or the brunch that you're going to go to after church. And you're like, he needs a hurry, man. He's got 25 left, right? Well, I would hope that you'd slow, long, slow down long enough today to evaluate some things in your life, some choices in your life. Jesus is demanding that we slow down and we look at what is important. And, and what is important is on the inside. I want to tell you today, eternity, listen, eternity is worth our careful consideration. Eternity is no joke. So the first thing that I want you to notice today is this, caution. Caution. Enter the straight gate. That's verses 13 and 14. The first caution that we see in this passage of Scripture is, is a caution considering the direction of your life. Are you on the right path? Now, I, I used this illustration a few months ago, and I, I think it bears repeating again, but um, I remember reading a story about a family that got on a flight, and in fact, when they got on the flight, the flight was full, and the flight attendant at the gate said, hey, we're out of seats, we're going to throw you up in the first class. That's pretty legit. If you've ever flown first class, it's incredible. I think I, once or twice in my life I've been able to do it. And, man, it's cool, man. When you walk on the plane, big heavy seats, you're rolling back, they bring out those warm cloths. They got special food for people in first class. Like, you don't get crackers and a drink. Like, you get a meal with silverware, right? It's a big deal. The problem was the family was in first class, but they were on the wrong flight. And I'm afraid that some of you this morning are more concerned about making sure that your family is flying first class than you are about actually heading in the right direction that God has for your lives. And so the reality is here is Jesus wants you to consider the direction, the direction of your life, the trajectory of where you're going and what you're doing. Jesus confronted his followers with two possible, listen, two possible eternal choices. Jesus was preventing them from following the the teaching of the Pharisees or really anyone else that might lead them down the path of ruin. He, Jesus, said, I've come to give you life and I've come to give it to you abundantly. And Jesus was trying to lead them down the path to life. What Jesus was talking about in this passage of scripture was this. He's speaking of the religion and the requirements of the Pharisees. You see, they believe that fulfilling the religious requirements of the law led to salvation, when in fact, it was actually the road to ruin. Listen, it doesn't get any more basic than this. You cannot be good enough to be right with God. I'm just being up front with you. You cannot be good enough to stand right before God. Even on my best day, when I seem to do everything right, I am a man that stands in need of the grace of God. And in that grace, Jesus gives me his righteousness so that I can stand holy before our God. Man, 
Jesus didn't come to establish rules. The Pharisees were just trying to get people to live right. He was just trying, the Pharisees were just trying to get people to, to follow the religious uh, 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 rules of the day. And listen, if that's all you're concerned about, and if that's all you have in your life, one day when you stand before God, I'm going to tell you right now, it isn't enough, and it never will be. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were morally upright people, but they didn't have a relationship with him. They didn't know Jesus personally, and Jesus wanted his followers to understand that religion leads to ruin, and a, listen, and a relationship leads to life, all right? Please write that down. Religion leads to ruin, and a relationship leads to life. And I don't care what religious tradition you come from. Reformed, Lutheran, Catholic, Baptist, Charismatic, Pentecostal, Buddhist, Confucianism. I don't care what religious uh, philosophy or ideology or denomination that you come from. If you come to God with your religion, it will not be enough. In fact you will be spiritually bankrupt without the righteousness of Jesus Christ provided by the grace of God. Now listen, you can walk on the Broadway. That's what Jesus says here. You get a choice. You can walk on the Broadway and you can keep your baggage of sin and self-righteousness, but if we enter the narrow road, we give those things up. Uh, Amen? So like the moment that you recognize that your good works and your religion and your righteousness isn't enough, You say, hey, look, I don't need that. I've got Jesus. That's all I need. And I think in part the reason why Jesus used the illustration of a narrow door was because we can't bring our stuff with us. Are you with me? Only so much stuff can fit through the door, and the only thing that fits through the door is you and Jesus because that's all you need. You don't need anything else. You don't need your good works. You don't need your righteousness. You don't need your popularity. You don't need your success. You don't need your wealth. You can't buy what Jesus is offering this morning because Jesus paid it all when he died on the cross of Calvary. So the very clear truth of this text is that Jesus plus nothing else saves us. Jesus alone renews our relationship with God and he restores our brokenness. Now I'm going to tell you something this morning. This passage should be eye-opening, and it should cause us to to use caution. It should cause us long enough to slow down and think about this. There will be far more people in hell than there will be in heaven. You with me? Look at what the passage says. It's not me saying this. It's what the passage says. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Look, and those who enter enter, uh, by it, listen, what does it say? Or what? The many. And I think one day we're going to be surprised by who's not there. All in part because we thought good works were enough to get us in. So Jesus says, listen, I want you to, I want you to be cautious. I want you to make this choice because there's no other way except through my son, Jesus Christ. So caution, enter the straight gate. And then look at here. Caution, beware of false teachers. Look at verse 15. He says, beware of the false prophets. It's kind of strange, but since we teach the Bible verse by verse, and we walk through it uh, line by line, and we want to teach the whole counsel of God. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are actually ravenous wolves. Now, for some, this may be odd to consider, but he wants his disciples to be informed. Amen? Like, that's kind of a big deal. And in fact, for us as pastors here at Jackson Creek, 
one of the things that we do differently around here than most churches do is like, we actually open the Bible every week. We ask you, um, in fact, I kind of got after my kids this week, and I know some of you do this, and it's fine. I'm glad that you bring your, your electronic devices and you have your Bible. But man, there's just something about opening up a holy Bible. There's just something about sitting in church and knowing that the words that I hold in my hand were breathed out by the very breath of God. Like, I, I read my Bible on an iPad in the morning, so I'm not trying to be, you know, crazy or anything like that. But when I come to church, man, like, there's just something about preaching from the Scriptures, right? And one of the things that we want to do here is make sure that you understand what the Bible says. Not just what I say that it says, but that you understand what it says. Because I'm not God, and I'm not Jesus, and it's up to you to know and to understand the Word of God for yourself. So Jesus was teaching the disciples that he wanted them to be informed. And he wants us to understand this. We follow the teachings of Jesus, not men. Amen? You don't follow the teachings of Pastor Jason. You don't follow the teachings of Pastor Mike or Pastor John or Pastor Ben. If you do that, we're nothing more than a cult and a bunch of weirdos. Right? Amen? We follow the words of Jesus Christ. We open this book and we say, hey, this is what Jesus said. And this is what Jesus meant. And here's what it meant in a historical context. And theologically, this is what we know to be true from the word of God and the mouth of Christ. So Jesus warned those who follow him to be aware of false teachers. And he said to be on guard against teachers, listen, who suggest other ways into the kingdom. You know a teacher is false teaching when they tell you that you can get to heaven and you can get into the kingdom any other way when it's Jesus plus something else or something else and not Jesus at all. Now, we're to be careful about who we follow. Please note that today. You should be careful about who you follow. You should be careful about who you let speak into your life. There are those whose teaching influence and can lead us down the broad way of ruin. And in Acts chapter 17, verse number 11, the Bible says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all eagerness. Listen, examining the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. I love this about the early church. In the early church, what happened was the apostles and the pastors would get up and they would open the Holy Scriptures and those scriptures ultimately would would point back to the gospel and to Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. They would say, hey, look, the Old Testament said one day there'd be a Messiah and his name would be Jesus. And Jesus would come and he'd pay for our sins and he'd come back from the dead. And guess what? He did. And they would teach that every week. The Bible says that those Christians, those Jews in Thessalonica, when they would go to church and they would hear the word of God taught and they would hear it preached, they would then go home and for themselves examine the word of God to make sure those things were accurate. I want to tell you two things this morning. Number one, you should have a daily time with God. Every day, listen, this shouldn't be the only meal spiritually that you get every week. Every day you should, on your own, open the Bible and read the Bible for yourself and understand that God can speak to you individually through the Word of God. 
God wants to edify you. God wants to build you up. He wants to strengthen your faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Every day you should be in the Word. Secondly, every week when we read the Word of God to you and we teach it and we preach it to you, you should go home either as an individual or as a family and go back and look at that message and look at that passage and look at that truth and consider those principles and think, was this right? Do I understand this? Is this holy? Is this good? Is this righteous? And how can I make it a part of my life? How can I live this out? It's a call to action. But Jesus says, Jesus says, beware of false prophets. And there's two things primarily that you can judge and examine. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Make a choice because you're going to have to examine some things. You need to examine your life. You need to examine those who speak into your life. And there's a couple things that you can examine in a teacher's life. And they're, they're not an exhaustive list, list, but they're two things that God put on my heart this week. But they can help us evaluate those who we follow, those who we listen to, those who lead us, right? Whether it's me, Mike, or John, or Clint, or Ben, or whoever you allow to have influence in your life spiritually and eternally. eternally. And the first one is this, is teaching. Uh, listen, if you're going to follow a teacher, the first question you need to ask is this, are they teaching the gospel? Are they teaching the gospel message of Jesus Christ? That Jesus alone saves. Not your goodness, not your morality, not your religion, not your denomination, not your confirmation, your baptism, your generosity. But does Jesus save you? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Friends, I want to tell you, this is the first primary, first tier truth, an issue of any man who is called to handle the word of God. Because the gospel is the message that transforms our lives from the inside out. And it's the message that restores us and reconciles us back to God. Are are other doctrines important? Yes, absolutely. But nothing comes close to the doctrine of having a relationship with Jesus as the means to salvation. And this is primarily what this text is pointing us to in every single verse. He's pointing us back to the gospel. Because the gospel impacts us from salvation to sanctification to one day when we stand before God. It's the whole package, so teaching. And then the second thing is this transformation. Is the life of this man, is the life of this one teaching, becoming transformed by the gospel he teaches? Okay? I think that's fair, right? Does he believe the gospel, and and has has that gospel, has that message transformed him? Is it changing him? Is it allowing him to become more like Jesus Christ? And I want to make a disclaimer here, all right? Quickly, no pastor is perfect. Amen? Jeez. No pastor is perfect, but listen, every pastor should be in progress. Man, listen, as pastors, our job isn't to do the work of the ministry. It's to equip you to do the work of the ministry. I had a sweet conversation with a lady in our church yesterday. and said, hey, did you reach out to this person? I'm like, no, you know, hey, listen, you can do that. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Why don't you do this? Because, listen, pastors aren't the hired guns. We're here to equip you for the work of the ministry. And so as pastors, I say this, but we don't live above and beyond the body of Christ. We should live out the truths that we teach, and those truths should be changing us from the inside out. And I want to say this. Most pastors, if they're honest with God, and they're honest with their people, and they're honest with themselves, they have struggles. And they have setbacks spiritually. They're not perfect. Sadly, many pastors today struggle with sin, loneliness, and many pastors struggle with mental and emotional health issues. We do. 
You know, I've mentioned that before. I struggle with anxiety. I see a counselor on a regular basis. I, I have sin in my life that I'm ashamed of, that I have to confess regularly to, to, to those that I'm accountable to. But the sad thing is this, is unfortunately, we've seen several pastors in the last year take their life because of the pressure of what they were facing was just too much. I want to take a sidebar here for a moment for our church family. But sometimes before you come to your pastor or pastors and you've got some critique or you've got some gripe or you've got something that you just it's gotten in your crawl, you need to just take a moment and consider, is this the right time to bring this up? And the right time is never on Sunday morning. Right before he walks up to the pulpit to open up the scriptures to kind of speak to everyone else about what God wants to do in their life. And you need to think for just a moment, is this really worth me getting myself bent out of shape over? Because while I recognize as pastors we have a level of leadership and expectation, I'm afraid that so often people elevate their pastors and they put them on such a high pedestal that then pastors feel isolated and they can't get the help they need when they struggle with their own sin and their own issues. And I hope that we're never a place like that as a church. Every teacher should be moving forward in their love and their pursuit of Jesus. They will struggle. They will have setbacks. But ultimately, they confess and forsake sin and get the help they need through the body of Christ and through counseling. That's my story. I struggle with sin deeply. I'm ashamed by it. In fact, it saddens me to know the pain I've caused others in this church and in my own family. But yet I understand the power of confession and accountability. There's power in that. There's power of bringing your things out into the light. And there's power of getting the help that you need. And I'll say this, when a man's motives are not aligned with God's word and with God's calling, and that man's heart becomes so hard to sin that the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word no longer can fix him, of his sin, I'm going to tell you, that man's in trouble, and you shouldn't follow him. I say this for myself, and I say it for my brother. Hypocrisy of teachers leads to a solemn warning against religious hypocrisy in general. Are you with me? Now, we're segueing because we're not just talking about me, Mike, and John, and Clint, and, and Ben. But hypocrisy in our leaders kind of segues into hypocrisy in general because We must be careful to examine the teaching of those we follow. But listen to this. We must be careful, and we're going to talk about this next week, of deception. But the greatest danger is not just deception, it's self-deception. And some of you this morning, you've been deceived into thinking that you have something that you do not possess individually. And that should cause us to pause for a moment and be cautious about this thing called eternity. Because I think this is the point that Jesus was trying to make. The Pharisees were leading people into ruin because they kept the rules, but they didn't have a relationship. And here's the last one. Caution. Examine your life. This is it right here. Examine your life. He goes on to say in verses 15 and 16, beware of the false prophets. In verse 16, he says, you will recognize them. Who? The prophets. You will recognize my followers in general by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's a metaphor for hell. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, here's the thing. Jesus, with poignant clarity here, 
states the evidence of his followers. You know what that is? It's good fruit. I'm not going to go into all that this week because we're going to talk about it next week because we're going to deal with this next week. But listen to this. If I plant an orange tree, what should come out of the ground? Okay. If I plant a lemon tree, what should come out of the ground? If I plant corn, okay, listen. If my life is not rooted and planted in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, then the fruit of the Spirit and the righteousness that he has destined and designed me for and for those in a relationship with him will not come out. It's impossible because my life hasn't been planted in or rooted in a relationship that is found in Jesus Christ. There's no way around this. A man is known by his fruit, and his fruit is the byproduct of his relationship with Jesus. Not his ability to keep rules, not his ability to play the game and act the part. The most powerful evidence of one's eternity is the fruit that his life bears out before God and others for the kingdom that's eternal. And a life that has bad fruit is a life that's never experienced the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ in their life. He produces good fruit in us. That's part of the relationship that we have with Jesus. And so the point Jesus is making is that true faith in Christ, listen, changes the life and produces fruit for God's glory. Fundamentally, what Jesus is saying is this. If you follow me, if you enter in at the narrow gate and you follow the teachings of my, of my life and the words that I said, your life will be transformed. It's going to be different. Not perfect, different. You're going to, over a lifetime, and the Christian life, my friend, is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And over time, your life, the trajectory, we go back to this. What is the direction? What is the trajectory? What is the pursuit of your life? Over time, as you pursue a walk with God and a relationship with Jesus Christ, the anger that you once held on to becomes peace. The bitterness that gripped your heart from that divorce or from that loss or that betrayal becomes forgiveness. The lust that permeated your heart becomes a pure agape type love where you seek the good of others. The addictions that once were beholden unto you, you are now like a prisoner. The chains have fallen off and you've been set free, not overnight, but over time as God has changed and renewed and given you new desires to follow him and serve him. That's how you know. And this morning, if your life isn't changing and you're not getting rid of the baggage, oh man, you ought to pause. And you ought to take caution. And you ought to examine your life. Because I want to close with this. Isn't it worth, isn't it worth considering this morning where you stand before God? I mean, seriously. Yesterday, I had the privilege of laying to rest Paul Cole. Funerals are funny, man. Some of them I can do, and some of them they just get to me. And yesterday got to me. I love Paul. I love Lorraine. 
Paul just was a friend. I never met, I don't know that I've ever met a sweeter man. He was funny, always joking, always kidding around. But you know, funerals cause us to do something. Because funerals, they're not for the deceased, they're for the living. Because funerals make us pause for a moment to consider this thing called death. And the reality is death takes the young and it takes the old. There's nothing more uncertain than the time of dying. None of us know. The Bible says it's appointed unto man wants to die, and after this is the judgment. In fact, Proverbs says, boast not yourself of tomorrow because you do not know what a day can bring forth. And James says, your life is nothing more than a vapor. A vapor is like when you go out on a cold, brisk morning and you breathe, and you know that mist that comes out? You know what I'm talking about? You see it in one second, and it's gone in the next. That's your life. I got two kids. One's in eighth grade, one's in ninth grade, and it just blows my mind that in three years, Ellie's going to be in college. That's just crazy to me. Weird. And she knows she can't date until she has a degree. And her love that she's going to find one day has a job and an education and a home already for her to move into. She knows that. Because that's what we did. Right? <laughs> Something like that crazy, man. I sit and I think about my life for a minute. It, was, it just seemed like yesterday that they were three and four and we were like moving into this building. And you guys remember there was concrete floors and there was wood here and we didn't even have these. Um, uh, the ceiling wasn't in yet. John hadn't got those in for us yet. And I mean, we had one bathroom and we had a line out there and I had these little kids out here laying sod. And, you know, I, I think of Trevor Hahn, he's back here. And when he was a little baby and, and, and baptizing him, now that he's growing up to be, I look at all these kids in the room, and it just blows my mind how quickly life is here one minute, and it's gone the next, and yet, we think the most important things in life are our kids' sports league, or our kids' education, or our job, or our success, or our popularity, or our health, or the home that we live in, or the vacations that we get to take, and one day, sooner than we'd like to admit, because we don't pause long enough to consider it, we don't realize we're going to run through life and miss out on the most significant things that God has for us because we didn't make the right choice. We didn't make the right choice. We didn't slow down long enough to consider our standing with God. We didn't slow down long enough to invest our life in things that are truly significant and worthy of the time of those who follow Jesus Christ. So my challenge for you this morning is if you know Christ, if you know Christ and you have a relationship with Jesus this morning and there's some things in your life that have distracted you from the eternal purposes of God and living your life in a way that is actually significant and worthy of the calling that he has on your life, you ought to run down that aisle this morning and you say, God, I'm so thankful this morning that you have saved me. I'm so thankful that you have called me. I'm thankful that you've given me a reason to live. I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for the air that I breathe, the job that I have, the kids that I have. I'm thankful for all of it. And I don't want to poo-poo on all the blessings that you've given in my life. And I want to live my life for the glory of God. That ought to be your prayer this morning. All the Facebook posts are already coming up. 30 days of Thanksgiving. And, and God bless you if you do that. There ought to be something significant, something so compelling in our life that we feel the necessity to come before a holy God 
and bow our knees in front of our friends and in front of our family. And the Bible says God reproves the scorner, but he gives grace to the humble. And if I have one calling in life, it's this. It's to make sure that this church, that you folks, that God has given myself and John and Mike and uh, Ben and the others to pastor, that you live your life for what is really worthy. That's our calling. That's what God has called us to be. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure, like, man, I don't know where I stand with God. Several years ago, my friend John Foster sits in the back row. He's a state trooper. He's not here every week. John grew up in church. I knew his mom and dad when I pastored over at Sog Trail. And John Foster came to me one Sunday. He says, Pastor, I don't know where I stand before God. I said, John, what are you talking about? You've been in church your whole life. He says, yeah, I know. But, you know, one Sunday when you were giving the invitation, you said, during the invitation, you said, hey, what would happen if you pulled out of this parking lot today out on Center Road and a semi-truck came and took your life and you slipped out into eternity? Would you know for certain that you would stand right before God? He said, Jay, I've been in church my whole life and I know what to say, but I'm going to be honest, I I don't know. And I'm going to tell you, he he was 40-some years old at the time. And you know as you get older, it's harder to make those decisions, is it not? It's hard to come down and humble yourself and say, you know, this whole time I've been a hypocrite. This whole time I've been self-deceived and I've been deceiving those around me, making them to think that I really had a relationship with God when I really didn't. And he came into my office, and he says, I, I need to come to know Jesus. And I said, well, John, I don't need to tell you anything. You already know what to do, so why don't you go ahead and lead yourself to Christ today? And John bowed his head in my office, and he says, dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know that I've sinned against you, and I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to down the cross, and he paid for my sins, and I want to confess you as the Lord of my life. I want to get out of the driver's seat of my car, and I want to allow you to sit in the in the authority position on the throne of my heart to be the Lord of my life so that I can live for you and I could live my life under your authority. And John raised his head from that prayer with tears coming down his face and it wasn't a few weeks later that we baptized him and he publicly before the entire church, his friends and family said, I now am a follower of Jesus Christ. And so this morning I want to ask you, this isn't something to play around with. It's not something to roll the dice on. We're not in Vegas. It's something that you should take caution and be certain about.